0: We want to draw to your attention this morning as the kids make their way to their class. Amen. We're going to start a series this morning that's going to last the next three weeks, uh, and we're going to be talking about generosity. And uh, this is the month of November, it's Thanksgiving, and for I realized something, I've been in the United States now for about 27, 28 years as an alien and a foreigner. Um, I, I I have a green card and uh, so I'm allowed to stay but for a while anyway they make who knows but one of the things I noticed in being here is that in the United States Thanksgiving trumps Christmas did you have you, I don't know if you guys have thought about this very much but there seems to be a lot more family togetherness in Thanksgiving time uh, and when people talk about it, they talk a lot more about Thanksgiving and getting together and, and all that they're going to do at Thanksgiving. And that's really cool. And often during Thanksgiving, we think about generosity. We think about being together. We think about spending time together. We think about hanging out with those that are close to us uh, and just just what all that entails and kind of the memories that go with that. And often it comes back a little bit to generosity, and so the next three weeks, I want to talk about generosity, and I want to, I want to look at it from, from what God has to say about being generous, and what Scripture has to say about being generous. Generous is this. Here, let me give you just a definition so we can be on the same page as we have this discussion. It's taking great joy and being kind. It's giving more than is expected or necessary, right? Right? Uh, There's a difference between giving something to someone and showering them with whatever it is, right? There's a difference between just giving enough to get by and giving to an extravagant amount where people go, wow, that was just And that's what generosity is. Generosity is is looking at whatever it is that I'm about to engage in, in in whatever form of giving it is, and going, I don't want to just give this much. I just want to, here, take it. That's being generous. And so we want to talk about maybe being extravagant in generosity. And I want you to think about it from this angle for the next three weeks. What if... As individuals of Mossbrook Church and as Mossbrook Church together, we were known for our generosity. What if, when people talked about in the Oxford Hills, talked about Mossbrook Church, they said, Oh, Mossbrook, that's the generous church. That's the church where people do the unexpected in giving. That's the church where when somebody needs help, they don't just help, they're extravagant in their help. And the reason why I think that statement matters is because it's really who Jesus was and is. See, when Jesus came, when Jesus realized, which was immediately <laughs> that I was a sinner, and and I, I'm talking about me, huh? you can think about you, but that I was separated from my heavenly father, who when he created me, loved me incredibly. And when he created me, he wanted a relationship with me. And when he saw me, he didn't say, I'll do a little bit for Tim, just enough to squeak him into heaven. (laughs) Just enough that if he's clever enough, he can figure out how to make it. That's not what he did. He saw me and he saw you. I'll, I'll let you in too. He saw us. And he said, I want to give them grace and mercy and hope. And I don't want them to have a slice of it. I want them to be overwhelmed with it. I want to give them so much of it that when they bump into other people, the generosity of my heart, Jesus' heart, splashes all over those people they bump into. That's what I want to do. And I think, and maybe I'm just crazy, okay, okay, I am, but I think that if that was Jesus' response to me, who in my selfishness and in my living life for me, still decided to love me anyway. And to be extraordinary about that love and to be so generous with his grace to me that as a Christ follower, it should be my nature to do the same to everyone else. So what if What if Mossbrook Church was known for its incredible, extraordinary generosity in the Oxford Hills? Over the next three weeks, as we unpack this, I want you to think about how that could be true of you. Because, folks, when it's true of us as individuals, we are the church. We make up the church. That's, very, that's, that's how God describes the church. It's not the building. It's not where we meet. It's the group of us corporately as we come together. We make up the church. And what we do as individuals becomes the DNA of the body as a whole. It becomes what we're known for. What if we were known for our generosity? In order to do this, then we have to live life this way and our heart has to be in the right place. Matthew 6:21 says it this way about my heart. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. My heart follows whatever I treasure. So, what is your treasure? What is it that you treasure? If you want to be generous, the first thing you have to figure out is, what do you treasure? Well, what is a treasure? A treasure is something of great worth or great value. It's something that, that has so much value that you'll, you'll, do, you'll go to great lengths to figure out how to get it. And in our culture, wealth, such as money or jewels or precious stone, are also looked at or often looked at as treasure, something that's of great value. So, what do you, what do I treasure? What's your treasure? I got thinking about treasure, and so I Googled what people treasure. Because Google is a wonderful thing, and I found 14 pages of things that people treasure. Collections. Some of them are kind of crazy, but here are a few. Let me give them to you. Some people treasure coins, some stamps, some comic books, some Books, hats, spoons, expensive dishes, paperweights, belly button lint, accordions, <laughs> musical instruments, guns, matchbox cars, bottle caps, sports memorabilia, baseball cards, antiques of all kinds, arrowheads, computer, crackerjack prizes, crosses, dice, dirt from around the world, drums, duck calls, decoys, Dukes of Hazard stuff, Feathers, fishing lures, model trains, ships, Legos, Pez dispensers, T-shirts, Disney stuff. 14 pages of stuff. And I probably missed yours. What do you treasure? We treasure stuff so much and we collect stuff so much that Americans will spend $37.5 billion this year to store it all. Just in America, 37.5 billion dollars will be sent spent to store our treasures. Some of those treasures, you never open the little stores, you never look at them, but you treasure them. What do you treasure? And maybe you're sitting there this morning and you say, well, Tim, that's great, but how do I know what I treasure? How do I know? What do you spend your time and your energy chasing? That's what you treasure. Where do you find your heart and your mind going all the time? That's what you treasure. Jesus had something to say about what we treasure in the parables, and the parables are a story that make a point for us. They help us to understand things about ourselves. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 45, he says it this way, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field and that a man found and he reburied. And then in joy, he goes and he sells everything he has and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And when he found one priceless pearl, he went and he sold everything that he had and he bought it. When we find something that we think is of great value, something that we put a lot of of value on, something that grabs our heart and our attention, something that in our mind we cannot live without, something that we treasure, we're willing to go to great lengths to figure out how we can get it. What have you been willing to give everything up for? What is that thing that if you found it, you'd give it all? What is it that's been grabbing your undivided attention and caused you to look other places for security and fulfillment because that's what we think the treasure will do. If I get enough of it, if I get it in a large enough quantity, I'll be secure. I've got it made. Now the problem comes, that's fine in the world and that's fine for those who are living everyday life, but If you're sitting here this morning like me and you call yourself a Christ follower, then I have to look at it differently. And generosity and treasure from Christ's perspective means a change of heart. It means looking at it from a whole different perspective. And so as a Christ follower, what should I treasure or how should I look at treasure? Well, in that same gospel, in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus talks about what I should treasure and how I should treasure it. And he says it this way in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. And then our little verse is there again. For where your treasure is, there your what heart will be also. In order for us to have this outlook that Jesus is talking about, it requires that I have a change of heart. It requires me to think about things from a whole different perspective. And from God's perspective, from Christ's perspective, he doesn't look at all of the stuff that we put so much emphasis on, so much energy into as having really any worth at all. He looks at it and he says, all of that stuff, at some point, something's going to come along and break it. The weather is going to come, and it's going to do its thing on it. And as the weather does its thing on it, it's going to fall apart. I have a camper. I like my camper really well. We use it on a regular basis. We go, and we we set it up by the ocean, and we relax. We shut our phones off, and we we just relax. But it's, it's great. I love that camper. But you know what? As good as that camper is, and I bought it secondhand from a guy, and he looked after it really well. The guy was, almost didn't let me have it because he didn't know if I'd look after it well enough. Actually, it was his wife that was really worried. He looked after it really well, and, and I got that camper. And as great as that camper is and as well as that's been looked after, I had to replace the stove because it broke. And then the carpet had spots that we couldn't get out, and so I had to rip the carpet out and put a new carpet in it. And when I took the carpet out, well, it was the couch that really had the musty smell and couldn't get the musty smell out of the couch, and so guess what? Got to replace the couch, because that's where the smell was. And the caulking on the roof is starting to let go, because it's an 08. It's getting old. It's been out. And so guess what? I got to climb up on the roof and I got to re the thing. And the cocking on the side by the little door that the hatch thing, that's starting to... So I'm going to have to re that. And the little place where you put the hose on at the back so you have water in the camper, that leaks now because it's starting to crack. So guess what? I got to take that apart to replace that. It's stuff. And everything we have that's stuff, guess what it does? It breaks, it falls apart, it gets old, it gets used up. But here's what we do is we chase all the stuff, hoping that the stuff will make all the difference in the world for us, and that becomes our treasure. If I just had, see, I could stop right here and go, you know what, if I got a 2019 camper, (laughs) no repair. Yeah, till next year. Right? But when our treasure is in the stuff of this world, then that's what we chase. Not saying having a camper is bad. I'm not getting rid of my camper, by the way. It's not saying having a camper is bad. All I'm trying to talk to you about is our outlook on our treasure. What gets our heart? And God was very clear through Jesus. He said this, look, where our treasure is, our heart follows it, and our energy and our effort follow whatever it is that we treasure. And all of our time and our energy go into whatever it is that we treasure. And as a Christ follower, should our treasure be in all of the stuff that we're going to chase and we're going to spend all of our time and our energy looking after and making sure that it is what we think it's going to be so that we're happy with whatever it is that we've got? Or does Jesus have a different way of looking at treasure? And I would say to you this morning that when Jesus actually has my heart, how I look at treasure changes. There's a guy in the Gospels, in the book of Luke, it's a story about a little guy by the name of Zacchaeus. If you get a chance, look at Luke chapter 19 sometime and look at the first part of the chapter. And Zacchaeus was this little short guy, that's what the Bible tells us, and I can say that because I'm a little short guy. And he was a, a little tax collector and he had heard about Jesus. And he thought that Jesus could make a difference in his life. And so he followed around to get Jesus' attention and finally one day he climbed up in a tree and he was trying to get just the sight of Jesus as Jesus went by and Jesus stopped under the tree that he was in and he told Zacchaeus, look, you need to come down because I'm going to spend some time with you today and I'm going to make a difference in your life. Now, Zacchaeus was a guy whose treasure was his money. And maybe because he was a short little guy, maybe getting money and having power as a tax tax collector was the way that he made up for nobody paying attention to him. I don't know. But his treasure was wrapped up in his money. And that's what gave him value. And on this particular day, he runs into Jesus. And when he runs into Jesus, and he comes down out of the tree, and Jesus spends some time with him, His whole system changes. How he understands treasure changes. And at the end of the story of him spending time with Jesus, he ends up doing this. He ends up saying to Jesus this. If I've defrauded anyone, if I've done anything wrong, I'll give back half of my possessions to the poor and I'll pay, that pay back payback." Four times what I took wrongly from others. See, when my treasure changes, when it goes from something that's temporal, something that doesn't last, something that I put security in to the person of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, everything about me changes. And for Zacchaeus, this was huge. It went from the money and the stuff to Jesus. I don't care about the money and the stuff anymore. I care about Jesus. And whatever I've done to harm anyone, (laughs) there you go. Generously, I'll, there you go. Take it. I don't care. I'll give half of my possessions to the poor and I'll pay back four times what I stole. His treasure changed because he met Jesus. Hey, believer, when you met Jesus, did your treasure change? Hey, longtime Christ follower, since you met Jesus, has your treasure stayed the same? What do you treasure? The Holy Spirit had Paul write these words to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. He said this. Instruct those who are rich in this present age, and I want you to understand something. He's not saying that there's anything wrong with being rich in these verses. He's not saying that there's anything wrong with making more than someone else or figuring out how to do business well. Instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant, Or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. There's nothing wrong with enjoying what you have. There's nothing wrong with enjoying what God has blessed you with. That's not what we're talking about. Instruct them to do, look at this, what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous. And willing to share, storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. So that they may take hold of what is truly life folks, here's what's going on in our world, here's what goes on within us, is that when our treasure is focused on anything else but Jesus Christ, then that becomes what I think life is. All my stuff, all the stuff that I've put so much energy, so much effort into accumulating and gathering becomes my life. And when something happens to my my stuff, I lose heart seems like my life is over and the holy spirit had paul write these words hey instruct the people and folks this is us he's instructing we live in a part of the world that we are wealthy you may sit here and go no i'm not and i would disagree with you yes you are you're wealthy in the world standard you are wealthy and these words are written to us, instruct those who are wealthy, those who have more than enough to live on, to not find their value and their pleasure in the stuff, but to find their value and their pleasure in Christ and laying a foundation that is built on who Christ is and what Christ wants, a change of heart, a truly different way to look at treasure. What do you treasure? What has your heart? There's one more passage this morning that I want to look at that helps me think about this from maybe a little different angle. Let me give you a little background. If you want to turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that's where I'm going to be reading, starting in verse 8. But let me give you a little background. Paul's writing this to the church at Corinth. And that church is nothing like our church, maybe. But he's writing to this church, and and the people in this church are, are having an argument. They're having a fight. And they're fighting about who's the better pastor, Paul or Apollos? Now, you wouldn't do that, Mike or Tim. Mike's gone for the month, so it's Tim, just so you know. But they're having an argument about who's better, Paul or Apollos. And and they're getting into it. This is getting pretty serious. And they're having a disagreement, and they're back and forth about who's better. And Paul steps into that disagreement, and he he writes these words to the people there to help them to think through this from a whole different perspective. Let me start reading at verse 8. He says this, and we're jumping into the middle of the conversation. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And he's talking about Paul starting the church and Apollos teaching. And they're helping the church grow. And he said they're both one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers, and you are God's field, God's building. According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, And another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. That foundation is, you say it with me, is Jesus Christ. That's the foundation, not us. It's Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's own work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test the quality of each one's work. And if anyone's work that he has built survives, then he will receive a And if anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only through the fire. It's a little different way of looking at the same thing we've been talking about. And Paul's saying this, look, if I spend all of my time and my energy building on something that is gold and silver and stone, something that seems to me like it's treasure, it has value, it looks really good from the outside, something that I can, people look at and say, wow, they're so successful. Look what they've done. They've built all this. And Paul says it this way, but if it wasn't built on Christ, guess what? It won't last. And it will show up as worthless. What have you been staking your life on? It's a picture of my treasure because I look at things and I say, I'm going to build on this because this looks good. This would be good for the church. This sounds good, but it's not Christ. People will be happy if I build on this. This will make them happy. But it's not Christ. It's not about the stuff. It's not about whether I'm happy or not. It's, It's about Christ. And Christ said this. He said, I came into this world to seek and to save those which were lost. That's me. That's me. God the Father said, I gave my son, my one and only son, to pay the price for man's sin. I generously poured out all that I had. So those I created in my image could have life. that's what I care about. I care about offering hope and grace to to humanity. That's what I care about. And as a Christ follower, as one who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ, guess where my heart ought to be? It shouldn't be after all the stuff that I think is important that I treasure. It should be What does Christ care about? He cares about the souls of mankind. He cares about giving hope to mankind, giving grace to mankind, showing them that there's a savior who can change their life. And as a Christ follower, that had better be where my attention and my effort is in. Every other treasure we have will end. Only what is built on Christ will last. Back to the original question. What do you, what do I treasure? We can only truly be generous with what we treasure. Do you treasure Jesus and what he cares about? Or are there other things that are drawing your attention and your time and your energy? If we as individuals and the church want to be known for generosity, then Jesus has to be our treasure. To be truly generous, I need a heart change. Do you? We want to celebrate this morning the one who we ought to treasure, Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that we do that as a church is by communion. Communion, God ordained in scripture for us as a reminder of what he did through his son so that we could have life. As a reminder of what our treasure really ought to be as a reminder of how generous he really was. God the Father gave it all. I think about it this way often. I I don't think so much about the cross in terms of the pain of the cross. I used to, but I don't anymore. Because as I read scripture and as I read scripture, I realized that, that what was really painful for Jesus wasn't so much the cross. Oh yes, physically it was painful. But when you read the Gospels and you read the closeness of God the Father and God the Son, when you read the unity of God the Father and God the Son, when you, when you read through like the prayer of Jesus in John 17 and you read the heart of Jesus for mankind was that they would understand how close, close God the Father and God the Son were. There was nothing between them. There had never been anything between them. Never been a disagreement. Never not wanting to be together. And when Jesus goes to the cross, he took my sin and your sin. And the moment that he took our sin and his body, God the Father had to turn his back on his son. You want to talk about pain? That's where the pain was the relationship that had never been severed, never had a problem, all of a sudden was broken. And it was broken because God the Father and Jesus knew what we needed. We needed a savior. And so Jesus was willing to go to the cross and allow that relationship to be broken for me. Wow. That's incredible, folks. You want to talk about generosity? He splashed it all over us. And so when we take communion this morning, if you're a Christ follower and you take communion, that's what you're celebrating. You're celebrating someone who loved you so much, they were willing to be extravagant in their love for you. That's what you're celebrating. If you're not a Christ follower, it's fine. You just let the stuff go by. Nobody's going to think any of it, anything of it. Or if you're a Christ follower and you're living in sin right now and you know it, don't take communion. Because to take communion while living in sin is laughing at what God has done for you. Make your heart right. Get right with God first before you take communion. But if you're a Christ follower and you're living for God and you want to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for you, then this is for you. As we take communion together, let me read a couple of verses for you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so what scripture tells us, what Paul is telling us here is, look, when you take that little piece of cracker or bread that's been broken, you're remembering what Jesus did. When you take that cup that symbolizes the blood of Jesus Christ, you're remembering what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross and celebrate the fact that you've been forgiven. So I'm going to pray, and the guys are going to hand out the, cup, the bread and the cup. And when you're ready, go ahead and take each one of those and uh, stop. Spend a moment. Think about what it is that Jesus Christ has done for you. Would you just bow with me? Father, thank you for the privilege that we have to celebrate your generosity. Being generous means that you give above and beyond. Above what was expected, above what was necessary. And you did that for us through your son, Jesus Christ. Not only did you do it for us, but you continue to splash us with your grace and your mercy every day. Thank you for that. Father, we want to take a moment this morning and celebrate how generous you've been to us. So help us as we reflect. Help us to ask where our treasure is, what it is that we're really chasing. God, for those of us who are Christ followers here, remind us of your son, Jesus. Help us to just want Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.
1: As we take communion, I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 5. It's a scene that John sees. He asks a question. It's the same question we're going to ask in a song we're going to sing as the children help us. Is he worthy? Then I saw in the right hand of him who seat, was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaim, proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. Seven horns with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And we had, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne. and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped.